interesting, occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. Um, all right. Well, let's do some of the mandatory small talk stuff. Oh. And uh, uh, last night I was telling you how much I love how you don't fit into you so completely don't fit into one box you're in so many boxes and so many of these boxes are in like opposite sides the box (laughs) spectrum and that's amazing and i love that about you so could you please tell us about some of your boxes Uh, (laughs) tell us about your boxes so (laughs) that means something very different okay um so i think because i grew up not fitting into boxes i just Like, I used to feel self-conscious about that, and it was, like, a source of, like, shame and frustration, and then as I sort of, like, became an adult, embraced my own identity, I could just, uh, I was like, well, fuck your boxes. Like, I don't fit into a box, you make me feel bad that I don't fit into a box, so I'm just gonna aggressively not fit into boxes on my own terms. Like, uh, so my dad's American and my mother's Thai, and my mother was, like, the only one of, like, eight siblings to, like, finish high school and college. Um, So she lived a very different life as a result of that from the rest of her family. And she, like, married a foreigner. And they had, uh, no, two kids, my sister and I. And uh, so growing up here in uh, Chiang Mai, uh, I went to, like, even in my international school, there were other, like, half-Thai, half-American kids. But, like, even in that environment, you know, you still realize that you're, like, quite different. Um, So... I've decided I'm keeping airplane noises in my own podcast because it's just going to be like a charming quirk. Um, Yeah. So even in that international school environment, which was like quite diverse, I realized that I was like different there. Um, Anytime I was out and about, uh, I was always the Lukrung. I was always a Farang kid. I was always like a foreigner here in Thailand just because of the way that I looked. Um, and when we moved to the U.S., uh, in my early teens, like, my, I, I was in the panhandle of Florida, um, in an area that was not particularly diverse. Like, uh, my high school was, like, a small high school of, like, 700, 800 people, and, uh, like, there were a couple of black kids, there were a couple of Hispanic kids, and there was, like, this one Vietnamese dude, there was this other kid who was half Korean, and there was me. And that was, like, kind of, wow. like, that is as far as, like, diversity went. Everyone else was just, like, super white. Um, and so there, I was always, like, oh, Lily's Asian. Lily's weird because she, like, spent the first half of her life in another country because not many people came from that background. Even the other half Korean kid, he, you know, he'd grown up his whole life in Florida. Um and I think because of that, uh, you know, I always felt like an outsider. And so that sort of made me – eventually I became comfortable with that. And I realized as an adult that that's what made me interesting. And once I could sort of get over some of those insecurities and hang-ups, then just, like, embrace it. And just, like, if I don't fit into a box anyways, this is actually incredibly freeing. Um, it's, it's all a matter of perspective and how you look at it, right? And so with that freedom, like – to not fit in other people's expectations it's like okay well what are my terms i can set them and just like be me does that make any sense yeah it makes beautiful sense <laughs> uh, we had a long conversation after uh we met you at the retreat you described yourself as 
learning how to hack cool. And <laughs> we were like, that resonated with us both so hard of being like, I mean, you know, well, we grew up where we grew up. We were there the whole time. Both of mm-hmm. us grew up in the same area, same shit. But like, didn't have any of your very valid excuses for not fitting in, <laughs> but just didn't at all. We were like, what's wrong like everybody else is doing the same shit and like saying the same things and doing this stuff and like i don't like any of it and having mm-hmm. to yeah learn how to put on all these different faces code switch mm. and uh yeah, yeah. but i think we discussed it at the retreat right this conversation around like code switching is you learn to pick up on these things and you train yourself to perform these behaviors um i did my undergraduate degree in anthropology and so i i really actually enjoy the like i'm really glad i have the vocabulary to talk about identity as a performance Mm -hmm. right and that's not to you know say that it's like a bad thing i think that's actually a very natural thing absolutely um is to know it's nice to be able to have a more nuanced understanding of your own identity uh, and the social context in which you're in, and then to perform according to what's suitable or what outcome you want, how you want to make people feel, how you need to feel. It's just like having a larger vocabulary. means right. having a larger toolkit and awareness to like go out into the world. Absolutely. Even I mean, though it sucks when you're a teenager. Everybody performs their identity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the, the less you fit in, the better you get at being socially acceptable mm-hmm. i mean like basically it's like you know die or get stronger type deal and, yeah uh, but like i'm gonna ask you guys a question fun. actually yeah. uh so you guys have been living in thailand now for like about a year-ish right yeah and so you've been hanging out in chiang mai and like integrating into our weird and wonderful community here as well um i think one of the reasons that i love chiang mai so much like it happens to be my hometown but it's almost just kind of this magical coincidence. It's also the place where I really feel like I belong. Because the, there's like a there's a real community here of people who don't fit in. People mm-hmm. who are always kind of outsiders. Uh, people who didn't feel like they belonged somewhere else. Who wanted to like go for a life that was a little bit different. And so we've all gathered here together to be loving and accepting and supportive of each other's differences. There's also the angry people who are, like, the unhealthy side of that spectrum who didn't fit in and they're just here to, like, be angry and, like, chauvinistic and terrible, terrible humans. Sure, they're here too, but mostly the people I hang out with are... You can find them on the Tech My Digital Nomads Facebook (laughs) (laughs) Trolls. Um, Yeah, but mostly, like... So so I guess my question to you guys is, like, um, how do you find yourselves? Do you feel like you fit in into this community of misfits? Or, like, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, I said briefly to you the other day of, uh, when we were on Skype together, or Google Hangouts, whatever, uh, <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's a weird thing living in Pi. Like, we love Pi so much because we love our home, we love nature, and we love the calmness that it brings to us as individuals. But, God, we want to be around the people in Chiang Mai. And, like, mm-hmm. every time we come to Chiang Mai, every time we meet just our favorite people we've ever met in the world. And that has, Pretty much never happened in Pi. <laughs> I mean, no, there's there's some <laughs> there's some great people in Pi. <laughs> do any of our Pi Pi friends listen to our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, if they do, there are there uh, are plenty mm-hmm. of uh, decent humans in Pi. Fred, who was on but our yeah, podcast, I think that is it's a interesting great to human. see how we definitely find it easier to connect with Chiang Mai groups mm-hmm. than with the Pi groups. 
Yeah, like yeah. Always and instantly. I mean, I find yeah, I find it easier to genuinely like. I'm so genuinely interested in developing relationships with the major or like in with Chiang Mai people f- faster and like more seriously mm-hmm. than like any place I've lived, any yeah. type of people I've met before, and like meeting Chiang Mai people in all different types of like groups and circumstances. But yeah, just that the vibe that attracts your tribe mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in Chiang Mai is just yeah uh, it definitely it feels it feels easier to make friends here je- friends who I actually want to be friends with. right not just people you just interact right. with due to proximity yeah yeah right. people who like I want in my life regardless of location and like just yeah want want to be around want to, want to know um it's been easier here than anywhere else in the world yeah but yeah, I mean I think it's kind of self-selecting too like mm-hmm. Chiang Mai attracts some more uh Driven. I don't know if that's. I was thinking okay. the word driven earlier today. I was thinking about this. Um, yeah, and you know, there's a different type of driving pie, but I think that in terms of, I don't know where we're at in our lives and where we see our future going, the Chiang Mai type of drive seems more suited. To, yeah, you know, sort of really building a relationship with rather than just being next to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is a tough thing of, like, really loving – I mean, my whole life, other than Ithaca, where I went to college, I've lived in cities, big cities. I've lived in all the biggest U.S. cities. And, um, you know, I guess I've always kind of thought of myself as a city girl. And then mm-hmm. Pi is by far, like, the least city place I've ever lived. Yep. And just, oh, my God, how much it reduces – and my baseline level of stress and anxiety to be in the place that is just ah. peaceful and nature and quiet is yeah. fucking astounding how just calm and like default good I feel. I think it would be fantastic to build a digital nomad community in Pi. Yeah. Right. Like a little semi self contained bubble of digital nomads in paradise. Of right. Pi. Or. Like, telling my people who wanted to come up for a month or like whatever. Yeah. Or. We find a bit of jungle, yes. and we hear like that's still accessible to Chiang Mai, and we build our little commune there. I would I absolutely one hundred percent think that's a fantastic yeah. idea. Close enough where you can still easily mm-hmm. get to Chiang Mai when you need something that's Chiang Mai or you know, yeah, yeah. I this kind of like actually exists. There's a community down in uh, Changkian Way. It's called like Nana Jungle. Um, it's also jokingly mm-hmm. called the Farang Farm. Nana Jungle, like the restaurant. Uh, maybe I'm getting my names mixed up. Uh, <laughs> whatever. That's where our friends, our friends live right next to Nana Jungle. We go to that restaurant every all the time. Uh, I don't know about different. that. I think it's called Nana Jungle, but um, yeah, it's basically uh, it's the property like sits near the mountain, oh. and it's it's less than 15 minutes drive into this into like Nimenhamen or into the old city. Oh, nice. Um, but. Once you're out there, you're like surrounded by nature. And I have a friend; um, she's one of the other teachers at uh, my pole dance studio. And she, uh, she like gets really anxious. Like she has always had to deal with like really bad anxiety and like depression. And for her, just like moving out there, like her life, I could instantly tell from her demeanor. Like the week after she moved into that place, that she was like more sound and more happy. Just just to have that space that she could retreat to. Yeah. Yeah, so I definitely get you that feeling of just like I need my 
I need my place yeah, of peace I, and serenity. I never knew that like I need I know that I I know that I'm I told you I'm like extremely sensitive to sound mm-hmm. to the extent that all of my life everybody asks if I'm autistic. Um hmm. <laughs> uh there's i mean or i guess se- sensory overstimulation in general i guess yeah. it, it seems to definitely affect me differently than people and uh always has um but still like i mean i never really changed my life or, or like made very small modifications like living in new york city mm-hmm. i just wore, wore earplugs every time i exited my apartment and like right. it was fine and like yeah. you know I didn't think anything of it. That was just mm-hmm. that was just my life, and I could, that made me be able to hear better. And I loved living in New York, and uh, yeah, I really didn't think anything of it. But just still reflecting back on all of my life before living in Pi, my anxiety that wasn't manifesting like obviously like in a reaction to being afraid of sound mm-hmm. or whatever the thing was, but was just always at like a baseline of at least like 30% like right. always at least no matter what i'm doing 30% anxious and now operating at like 2 to 3% <laughs> like yeah what a, yeah what a different how about you what are your feelings on like pi versus chiang mai and like what do you get out of pi i was daydreaming about building a digital nomad community what did you repeat the question <laughs> How about you? What do you? You're Chiang Mai versus Pi, and what do you get out of Pi? I don't like cities as much. I like, I like having good music around. I like mm-hmm. having like well, fi- we definitely have places that in to go at night if mm-hmm. I want to be social. I like that are sort of my type of people. Um, I like having hikes nearby. Mm. Are you? So, are all of these listings? Are you describing like Chiang Mai? <laughs> <laughs> I'm describing Pi. Uh, I don't like the traffic of Chiang Mai. I mean, and Chiang Mai by by is by no means as far as cities go. I mean, it's totally drivable. It's even pretty. But it's walkable. So, like we moved from Philadelphia, we moved to Chiang Mai first. We are here for a little a little over two weeks before we went up to Pi, and we're planning on staying in Pi for a month. Now it's been a year, um, mm-hmm. but uh, we moved from Philly to Chiang Mai, and we're just like, wow, this is like a perfect city. This is really great. Then then ended up being in Pi for six weeks, came back to Chiang Mai, and we were both like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, so overwhelmed. Point, you know, we, hadn't, we didn't really know either place all that well, mm-hmm. so we were kind of just seeing the superficialness of it all, and we had gotten to yeah. know Pi well enough to get a little bit of level deeper, so what we were seeing was, like, there are pockets of communities up there that are pretty cool. It's also not real, like realistic. I mean, I still don't see the the family model, at least in today's society, or like the families that I know being all that uh, realistic. At least, I mean, it's realistic. It's it's doable, but it's still not ideal. Like, what do you mean sister, the family model? My sister, for instance, just had a child, and she's fortunate enough to have grandparents that go out there. Two sets of grandparents that go mm-hmm. out, and I mean, for the first couple of months, are going to be there. But I mean, and then then when they're no longer out there as frequently, she's still there with two employed parents and two kids i mean that seems and no family yeah and i mean i love my nieces and nephews but i'm there for like you know a couple of hours and i'm mm-hmm. exhausted i literally cannot imagine having children 
It sounds so yeah. exhausting. Totally. Uh, and and then not to mention like the whole political economical issue of I don't think it's sustainable to you know I think that we really need to start having a negative right. population it's growth. Not yeah, it can't be. I mean, it, it can't be. I want to burn the rest of the rainforest to build those houses. <laughs> to, to take it even like a step further, like the idea of retirement homes, like I would. I think I would rather just kill myself. I yeah, absolutely. I like, was I would in never let that happen to me before coming here. Our first rotation was geriatrics, and I I've seen behind the scenes. Right. Like I mean, it is. It's and then fucking, he quit nursing school. And it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, I literally I could not stomach it. I was I'm, I'm out. I, I quit. This is terrible. I and I was going to you know wealthy retirement homes mm-hmm. and like I mean and and, and I mean, you're talking. I, it was terrible. That, like, the whole, like, epidemic of, like, loneliness. That's yeah. our, like, aged population, right? Like, if we don't want that to be our future, like, let's yeah. build a better do model. Something. Like, I love this idea that um, I think, like, they do in, like, the Netherlands where um, they have, like, cheap or free accommodation for, like, young people to, like, college students, like, young people to basically come live With, in, in retirement the retirement home. community. Yeah, I think that's And that's awesome. wonderful. Like, yeah. why can't we have more of that? And the thing is, yeah. People don't need their individual homes, right? Like, rather than, like, a specific facility that's created to, like, bring together all the old people, let's just, like, riff on a model that worked fine for, like, literally for fucking ever. (laughs) Just, like, the whole community, the village takes care of the young people and the old people. I also think, like, our generation and the ones recently before us, a main motivation to have children is just the fear of not having someone to take care of you Mm. when you're older. I mean, like, so many people will give that as their reason for having kids. Yeah. Yeah. so sad. And (laughs) and also, like, I mean, you know, I can understand wanting to have like you know i wanted to i wanted to get chewy a, a dog friend because i didn't want to have one dog you know mm-hmm. i can understand that same argument for a child as well like oh right. well, you know like two they can play together they'll grow up together uh-huh. that's great uh you know but if in a communal living situation they'd have many built-in friends yeah. of that nature so you wouldn't like it kind of destroys the whole reason to have two children mm-hmm. um and that needs to happen i mean it boggles my mind that nobody's talking more aggressively about that to begin with because if the population continues to grow the way that it does, I mean. But like, but we already see that naturally happening in countries where. Yeah, but like, they're already talking women, about like women I mean, are. In the United States, you know, we, we've had we're starting to see a slowing down of the population yeah. growth, and we're already talking about the negative economical impacts that it's mm-hmm. going to have. I mean, and that's why aren't we talking about how that's not a sustainable model of economic production to have that be right. If we need to start planning on the macro level, but the thing is, we're having this conversation about how industrialized, like quote unquote, developed nations, right? We're we're seeing this model. It like it's it's happening. It's happened. Uh, it, you know, we see like Japan, we see like Italy. It's happening in the U.S. It's happening in many other countries, right? We're not like the replacement rate is like no longer happening. So you have a large older population, but then you have all like, then you have all these people who are also freaking out about like about migration. Right. And so, excuse me, like the, the rest of the world where like this, like this development hasn't happened yet, you can replace rather than like birthing your new people, yeah. you can import them from other places and they want to come. And like, and then that will sort of happen. It will like, it just seems, it's, I guess I'm not an economist, but it seems so fucking obvious. Totally. And like the only, the only barrier to implementing that just seems to be widespread racism. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. Just like, because if we can just be a little less racist and just integrate that into our economic policy, like, surely that's better. It's like the solution is there. Lily for president. <laughs> so great. I was born in Jakarta. I was born in Indonesia, so I can't be president. Ugh. And even though I have U.S. citizenship. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. <laughs> Birther nonsense. I feel, again, widespread racism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I also wonder. I mean, I think that having like micro communities is is a, a necessary portion of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I wonder at what sort of scale would be most like sort of mathematically efficient of how large communities should be. Mm. Yeah. So you know that you know like the they do actually have like a a model for this for so looking at uh, different primate groups and i think it's like the degree like there's like brain size relative to group size they have a model for that oh, within biology and so for humans it's like something like 150 people like right. we can only actually feel like empathy and connection to about 150 individuals um, and that's kind of our maxim. Anything beyond that, that's when you need to have, like, other social mechanisms. That's where you need to start having, like, you know, like, rule of law and shit like that. Interesting. Very interesting. But, yeah. <clears throat> smart people have figured some of that stuff out. I also have heard stuff about how that's, like, part of the theory for why we have such widespread depression and anxiety mm. is because there's so much comparison now and you're getting to actually see the very best people whereas previously in a group of 150 you every single person was going to be the best at something Mm -hmm. and now that is definitely not the case like very few people are the best at anything in the the whole scheme of the world but it's also just like we don't connect in the same way absolutely we have this like going back to like you know how we shape the economy through policy right we have this economy that is dependent upon people leaving their home and spending the majority of their time working Mm -hmm. And then, like, they're supposed to, like, the rest of their life is just this extra shit. Like, all that stuff that used to be the foundation of our society. Like, people, like, knowing their neighbors and knowing other people in the village. And even things like, you know, nice things like going to church and, like, going to the farmer's market. These things that seem, like, super ideal. Like, actually, like, these are the tethers of our society and, like, our, like, social well-being and feeling included. Like, you know, not for everyone, it's not necessarily going to church, right? But there is some variant of that within your cultural context you actually like you kind of need it absolutely you 100 percent. i think a lot of the problems today are we sort of destroyed those social connections Mm -hmm. like religious uh is a a great example Mm -hmm. of you know we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater with that (laughs) well you know we we should have really replaced it with something anything Mm -hmm. anything and we have yet to really come up with a viable solution or replacement to that right but like all the decisions were made to like further growth and progress and like prosperity. And so, you know, I think to vilify all of it is like too much, right? Because we, we do live in an age of like great abundance. Um, and it's like, it has honestly been like, you know, it hasn't worked out for everyone equally. Right. But all those decisions to sort of further the economy, you know, I think we're as individuals are definitely the beneficiaries of that. We have great privilege, um but yeah it's like okay we did that and now that we've hopefully can we learn something from that and like try to do it better actually (laughs) i read a a great quote by stephen hawking's today do you remember what it was sounds better with quotes than i am remembering verbatim give me the gist it was 
Well, so so a concept that I forget where we we really were first introduced to it, but uh, the idea that the the point of of work and technology should be to eliminate drudgery. Mm. Oh yeah. And the concept, like, so you know, if everything, if all your basic needs were met by, say, technology and robots, mm-hmm. robots did the farming, so nobody had to be a farmer, so nobody, you know, like, uh, the robot, the trash collectors, so all, all these kind of occupations were no longer there, and and you never had to be sort of just doing mindless tasks anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the Stephen Hawking's quote went something like, uh, "If there's no longer." drudgery there's no longer this work that needs to be done and everybody's basic needs are met where there's two ways to go either mm-hmm. you're going to have a share a sharing of those resources that are the, the prosperous the, the outcome of no longer having to do this work or you're going to allow free market forces to take advantage of that and make it to a, a smaller driven profit mm-hmm. to a, a isolated group of individuals and we'll basically kill one another having a greater disparity <laughs> between rich and poor hmm, i never knew that stephen hawking's was even that vocal about politics let alone such a socialist <laughs> yeah it was, it was interesting it was, mm-hmm. yeah it was, i'll have to find the quote so we can put it on the website because it was the worded much quote. better yeah, than what well. i did <laughs> um, but yeah interesting interesting stuff yeah why can't we all just be happy? Yeah, man. What are your feelings on uh, psychedelics? My feelings on psychedelics? Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I, for, for me personally, I think psychedelics have been extremely healing and therapeutic. Also fun. You know, I think it's okay to acknowledge that side of things. Um, but, yeah, I used, to, I used to have really bad anxiety. And something that I did find that helped was, like, if I did, like, mushrooms or acid, definitely more mushrooms seemed to have a better, like, more lasting effect. Like, it, like, like for months after that experience, um, even if there was no intentional sort of, like, healing built Mm -hmm. into it, I was just like, no, I just ate mushrooms with friends. We listened to music and giggled and had a lot of fun, right? For months afterwards, like, there was, like, a, it was, like, a, like a psychological massage that reduced my anxiety. That's Um, beautiful. I've like, I've since, you know, reworked my life so that like, I I don't have the same problems with anxiety. So I don't like need it per se. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think there's, there's many things. I think the, the state that you can get to with psychedelics can be achieved in other ways. So I don't think like you just need, like drugs yeah um i i, I like have bro voice for that like my bro voice um, <laughs> drugs, <man. laughs> but um but yeah i think it i feel sad for people who like rule it out so completely because you don't know what you don't know until you like something sort of turns you onto it you're just like oh oh and and I, I feel like so many things have like sort of slotted into place for me where you just needed to sort of like uh, pull apart some of those constrictions uh, in your way of thinking that just Absolutely. like those patterns that are ingrained from daily life. Um, but something that I really enjoy now and something that I like aspire to now when I do take psychedelics is to enjoy that like childlike state of like wonder. I remember this one time my um, a friend and I were in Pi 
And um, and when we went and grabbed some mushrooms, uh, we grabbed them from these people who had previously sold them to us for like a group of like six. And this time there's just two of us. So whether whether they were just stronger or whether we actually like there was some mistranslation there and she thought that we were once again buying enough mushrooms for six people and it was just like two teeny tiny girls uh i think we took way too large for dose um but it was good like it wasn't a bad trip at all but it definitely like took me further uh like into a more like removed state from normality than i had ever experienced before but i remember this strong sensation of just like reaching my hand out at one point and just marveling at the fact that like oh my god i wanted to raise my hand and my hand came up mm. and i touched Danny like I I wanted something and then and then my brain told my body to do the thing and I touched another person <laughs> with my mind and it was just like it was it's so stupid right no, it's beautiful. Stuff, it's I love it I love it look I have goosebumps <laughs> but um but when you sort of can stop and like appreciate those things Absolutely. I think it, it feels uh, like for me it feels like becoming like cosmically aligned and appreciating like the really really like base level things like those things you know like when you think about like the fact that we are like made of stardust right <laughs> that like every like atom in our body like that was like forged in the fire of a sun like literally <laughs> right like all these carbon molecules had to happen from suns exploding and shit and yeah. it just all happened to and now here wind we are making a podcast yeah. yeah balls of exploding suns and in your normal daily life like there's no room to really i think feel that because yeah. it's 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 also like a bit too much but it's really nice when you can create that space where you can feel those very profound things when you can revert to that childlike state where everything is wonderful everything is new mm-hmm. um I, I i enjoy it um <laughs> how would you describe feminine energy how would i describe feminine energy um so you and i jen were at a, a women's sharing circle the other day and um this is something i've been going to for well uh, like a year I think and something now um which has been interesting because I think it's caused me to think about what feminine energy is because within that group I definitely feel like a strong feminine energy and I think it's like I don't know feels to me feminine energy is very nurturing Mm -hmm. um but I think it's also uh it's also like creative uh and sort of like if you there's like two sides of it, right? The nurturing is the like inviting something in and creating holding space so that something can like grow and be cared for. Um, whereas also it's like, okay, now you take that energy and you express it outwards. It's like that create like, yeah. I mean, I guess that's like, if you go to like, I guess my, there's biological ties to like what I'm saying, right? <laughs> um, there's like a, I think there's this, to me, feminine expression on the outside is to, yeah, to to take those, like, whatever your ideals are and to just project them out in the world, not through force, but through nurturing. Like, through, uh, you know, you don't, like, say, this is my will, like, so <laughs> mote it be. It's more just, like, this is what it can be and I can see this and I'm so, I'm gonna, like, you know, tend this garden mm-hmm. so it grows in the right directions. To me, that's, like, a feminine energy i guess to me masculine energy feels a little bit more direct and i think there's like room for both right um yeah that's that's really i i was getting like all of the like visuals for the analogies you were saying like right before you said them like really yeah. feeling exactly the picture you were painting <laughs> so my question is that how do you contrast that with masculine energy 
yeah um i think masculine energy is like i sort of said i think like maybe perhaps more direct um i i do feel strongly that like not mad at all the boys, but I do feel like many of the things that are wrong with the world are just like this or like this imbalance. There's too much masculine energy. There's too much like direct force, like rather than yeah, people pushing agendas and people um, imposing their vision of the world, right? Through like exerting their power to impose their vision on the world rather than like having a vision for the world and encouraging it into place. You know, I think there's different ways of like a, of expressing power and like agency. And I think the world that we are living in right now has, you know, we prioritize the masculine way of doing this mm-hmm. um, too much. But I think there's a great fat power in the feminine way of doing this. It's just so often like, you know, when it comes to like physical might is something that actually like makes, you know, it makes a difference in our day to day lives. Like war is still a thing that we have. And so I think, you know, like writ large, you know, that's why like there's many reasons why masculine energy still dominates. But it wouldn't be nice if we just lived in a world where everyone could just be nurtured. Yes. <laughs> When, <laughs> when you're feeling when you're feeling like a lot of either feminine energy or masculine energy, do you feel them in different places in your body, like physically? To I feel them in different places in my body. I don't think I've ever stopped to consider that. Do you feel? Do you feel? Are mushrooms connected to feminine energy for you? Mm. Not in a way that I've registered, but next time I will. I will examine this. All right. Sounds good. Any questions, dear? Well, I like the idea of uh, sort of pruning the garden. I think that the best way to convince people, besides art, mm-hmm. uh, is to you know live a life that is virtuous, and then you know other people seeing that you're the benefits of the way that you are doing something. Other people be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, maybe I should do stuff that way as well. Right. And sort of like. But it's like, I, I do feel strongly that there's room for both because I think um, in a professional context, um, I think my effectiveness often comes from the masculine energy that I'm like kind of channeling. And I think because I am very feminine in like many traditional ways, like married with that, like, I don't know, I feel like it's like disarming that I'm feminine and therefore it like some of the aggression or the resistance to the directness to that more masculine energy that might often be there that would like cause a clash of egos i can disarm that and therefore people are more likely to receive my direct energy where i want totally to impose so. my will if that makes sense i've never articulated that out loud i feel before, exactly but... the same way about myself yeah verbatim like, yeah man. um i've uh I've had discussions with people about this, whether, um, so I don't know, I haven't read into the literature, um, but I have a friend who's definitely autistic, um, super social guy, but like his social skills have been hard won. He like he's, he's one of those autistic people who like genuinely likes people, but also he has many of those like kind of classic Asperger's traits where he's like really good with like numbers and problem solving and like 
seeing patterns and things like that and not so good with the social cues. Um, but we were having conversation and he, um, he was presenting this theory that like autism is like a hyper masculinity. It's, it's when you have many of these masculine brain trait neurotypical things that are just like to the extreme. Um, and I don't know wow. where I'm going with this, but like, but, but it's interesting to think of it then that yeah, way. That resonates with me. Yeah. It seems like that makes, yeah. Makes sense. Absolutely. Checks out with uh, your other data points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause I am. Um, so this is something we've spoken about before, right? Offline. <laughs> um, is that I've recently come to sort of self-identify as autistic. Um, and it's been interesting since I sort of had this thought to sort of like go through my family tree and like think about like my relatives and sort of where we may fall on this so-called spectrum. Um, and like, I, I have a, a cousin that I'm very close to. She's like one of my best friends, one of my favorite people in the world. And I worked with her for a bit. Um, and I think she and I are, are very similar and I, I, I strongly suspect that she's, like, autistic as well. Her her youngest brother is actually, like, diagnosed with, like, Asperger's. But I think because she and I, you know, we're women, and so we were enculturated the way that women are. So we learned many of these things right. that women are supposed to know where we're taught a lot more intentionally things about social nuance. And so, you know, we're less likely to be diagnosed because someone has come along to help us over some of those hurdles that other that, – that men might not be. Right. And – um. Yeah, and it's sort of interesting to see the ways in which we are similar. Um, and she's a she's a former litigator, which is such like you know, that's like a world in which like logic and reason and your ability to like you know build an argument and exert your will and like use the power of your charisma to like sway people. You know, that is I think you know it's like I think it's a kind of a masculine world not to say that 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 i think it means it like has to be but like traditionally like the legal profession does have a lot of men in it and for women to succeed in that world i do think they like in in the way that it's structured now like they have to build on their masculine traits but i wonder if one of the reasons you know that she was so successful in that world was because she's able to channel this because she like her femininity is um, balanced actually with autism (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's it's i I feel very strongly that like we need to be able to talk about autism as like not a disability like there are people for whom autism is a disability and i'm not trying to gloss over that fact but uh but if we can talk about it in a more nuanced way i think it makes room for people to uh to see their differences as just just differences you know not not yeah, not disabilities. Absolutely. Per yeah. se. When you first brought up this idea with it, it's us, it sparked many subsequent conversations. Trevor specifically really enjoyed the video game. Or did you, was that your original idea or was that hers? I can't remember. The, spectrum, the so spectrum of spectrums. It's not that there's yeah. just one spectrum where it's like autism on the left, normal on the right, mm-hmm. and Asperger somewhere to the right of center or something. Yeah. Um, and that it's, it's, there's personality traits that all have spectrums yep. of, you know, logic. Yeah. Tell, you know, and stuff. Which I think is even, st- I mean, I think you even, so then uh, the, what I was, which the conversation she's referring to is the way I sort of look at it is like when you're building like a, a, a character in a video game mm. and you have like a lot of like 
experience right. points. You can put those experience points in any category that you mm-hmm. want. Like, but if you put it all in intelligence and none in like social, if you're playing Skyrim, you won't be able to talk to anybody in the game right. anymore. Um, which is yeah. you know, a little bit too polarizing. Right? I think that even our idea of personality traits should be expanding. It's more dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, you, know, you can't. It's the problem is talking about anything like this is you right. wind up sort of. But as a model, right. a model as a conceptual a thing yeah. that we apply loosely with many asterisks and grains of salt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think everyone can relate to that without like the trigger of like, being afraid to be labeled. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyone can be like, oh, yeah, like I definitely have more strength points in this category mm-hmm. and not so many here. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I think this relates to the whole conversation around like mental illness as well right it's like can we talk about this at the thing that like let's be honest like probably all of us suffer from some mental illness or another mm-hmm. and it's not like and if we if if we can only talk about it as a sickness as a thing that brings shame and like a thing that you have to hide and like fix that's like that's a i mean it's, it's even not a kind world for the yeah. most part i mean same thing as what you said of uh, for some people autism is is a whatever mm-hmm. issue but like mental Ill- oh sorry uh, why do we even have to call it mental illness? It right. does seem like it pushes you to the fringe and obviously saying there's something wrong with you. Well, to be fair, and sort of when you were talking about, you know, looking at autism differently, and it's the same point that I'm going to bring up now is there are legitimate mental mm-hmm. illnesses. Right. Like schizophrenia is a serious de- debilitating disease yeah. that is a chemical basis that is not just a, an accentuation of a personality trait. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be fixed there. I, yeah, totally, totally you know? agree. And, and so, but it depends. I mean, I think <laughs> that we sort of, in colloquial terms, have used a lot of mental disorders too broadly. Like, oh, yeah, I'm bipolar, you know? Mm. And even that, I think there's a bit of a spectrum. I think we all have ups and downs. I think that, you know, that probably is a is a biological mechanism for those ups and downs that can become over-exaggerated mm-hmm. to the point of becoming a... But that's that's diseases we know it. I mean, most diseases are an over-exaggeration of, you know, inflammation or, mm-hmm. or you know, so it all... Right. It, it's just how we define it, you know. And same, same with autism is it's ideally, you know, we should look at people with personality traits as, as, as accepting of their unique gifts as well as their quirks. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to say that we shouldn't try to improve upon the system that which we are in as well as how to raise, you know, how to go about making people as best and most productive. I mean, whatever, however you want to define best yeah. as possible. I, I, you know, I think there's two sides of that coin. Yeah. We often wonder about how much linguistics affects this stuff. Like, uh, I don't yeah. know how it goes yeah. in Thai, but Spanish is you people can't have or can't be mentally ill. Like, you can't be crazy. You mm. uh, you are in a temporary state of crazy. Like, okay, that and okay. like that that change. I mean, that changes it. It's and if we were able to speak the same way, like you know, it's not like oh yeah, like I am anxious. I have anxiety. It's just like, oh, in this particular, my response to this stimuli was one uh-huh. of anxiety. Like, yeah. this is, we are all ever changing, ever responding to different stimuli. Like, we are not fixed beings with fixed responses. Yeah. Yeah. What was the story I believe you told about uh, the, the going back to linguistics and, and autism? Yeah. Was it, were you, was, were you the one saying about the, 
you could speak in English but not in Thai. Yeah. 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 So I met this lovely lady who was uh, helping me out with a cat rescue situation. And uh, so she's Thai. And we were chatting and she was telling me about her child who who is autistic and was recently diagnosed. Um, and her child was for a long time nonverbal. And so this Thai child raised in a Thai household now speaks English because the resources and the like to to the education system that was able to accommodate this child was English. So now this woman is having to learn English so that she can communicate with her child. And so she's like on the one hand, she's like super happy that her child is now able to verbalize and is like much more likely to be able to engage in the world and like live a happy, wholesome, fulfilling life, right? But like that's so crazy. That's so crazy. crazy. That, that boggles my mind. That, I mean, yeah. You know, it makes me think of like you know, like people who like with severe stutters, mm-hmm. if they start to act speak like, with an accent. Or speak mm-hmm. with an accent or like otherwise pretend not to be themselves, mm-hmm. they can completely do away with their stutter. Like yeah. I, it feels like it's somehow connected to however that works. Sure. Of like but that's like ah. Uh. But that's I think to the point that you're making, right? We it's useful to have these tools and models and ways of looking at things, but we can't become over reliant on that because we have no concept of we really don't have any concept of how things actually like happen when they go into our brains, right? We are biological beings. We have these brains and we can like know all these things and like we can like learn about ourselves and continue to explore that. But we we're not capable of actually mapping out all of like the level of like interaction and connectivity, right? So to say that we can like like it's not like one plus one equals two. There's just too many variables. So yeah, it's it's not that's why we should, you know, hopefully not not be too pedantic about it all. Do you think some people are better than others? <laughs> I like some people better than others. I prefer some people better than others. I try to be uh, my most compassionate self. <laughs> and she's on and the left. This is a speech. My judgments on people. Uh, I'm. Um, I, I've. I've debated with people the whole idea of like cultural relativism a lot because that's such a fundamental thing that when you're studying anthropology, you have to discuss and especially as a child of two cultures like you know growing up people always ask me like oh what do you like better thailand or america and i'm just like it's like it's not even apples and oranges it's like apples and grapes like yeah. it's what the how the fuck do i it's even like answer apples that and question puppies. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah yeah even further right um and so it's like what what are some people better than others by like by what metric by like what lens we had a anarcho capitalist yeah. on the podcast. Listen to the ep- episode <laughs> episode twenty four, and he, he his no, uh, his test whether he had heard about this, whether if you're on the right or the left is how you answer that question. Mm. You give a speech defending your answer. You're on the left. If you say that, oh, okay. people, if you say yes, if, then you're on the right. Yeah, if people can be inherently unequal. Oh, yeah. No, if you say the word yes, you're on the right. If you give a speech, you're on the left. Yeah, right. I gave. A speech. <laughs> um, I, I think yes. it's interesting. I mean, 
And mm-hmm. but going back to my like my my video game example of you know you have these experience points that you can divvy out through personality mm-hmm. traits. I mean, I think it's I think it's reasonable to say that some people were just born with more experience points to be divvied out than other people. And if that makes somebody better than somebody else, I mean. But like there's a difference, right? Because there's a potential, then there's an expression of that, right? Which some people just aren't as smart, but they're more hardworking, they have more energy, they're better motivated, whatever. Like even though they're in like intellectual capacity may be lesser, they achieve more. But I mean, so well, yeah, I mean, it's, it totally goes back to how you define better. Uh-huh. But you could still say, like, on a more existential sort of view of it all, like, okay, that person then would have put their experience points into, mm-hmm. you know, work ethic and all these. Other, but it's still not to say that there isn't a person out there that had that same configuration, but just less points to go around, so they <laughs> achieve less than that. You know, like, like they just by all metrics was less than. Yeah, but if you live in a world where, like, you have, okay, you have 50 experience points to divvy out under, like, 10 criteria, right? But then you go out into the world that actually only cares about five of those. Like, totally. totally. Like, yeah, you kind of, you actually end up wasting a lot of points, right? Because the world doesn't account for those. Yeah. And I think that's the situation we often, like, we're kind of living in. Certainly. And I, I mean, I'm, and I think to, to that that question's point. I, I don't think it's necessarily the point of the question, but I don't think it should affect any <laughs> points, sort points, of like points, social points. policy, even no matter if what that answer is, if, if people could or could not be unequal or equal, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. You still should, as you were saying, treat people with respect and yep. dignity. And, mm-hmm. you know, Golden rule. Yeah. Do unto right. others as you would have done unto your, unto you, right? Like if someone's doing something, they're not hurting you. They're not hurting other people. Hopefully they're not hurting themselves either. <laughs> but then again, it's all like but what it's, they it's are, hard. And right? like, how do you how do you deal with this concept in relationship to boundaries, like personal yeah. boundaries? If somebody is a fucking energy vampire and mm. is for all that you can see, I mean, what? However, you want to talk about that in any type of woo woo terms, but pe- like that, I absolutely feel that people have demons. Whatever demons means, I'm not mm. sure. And some of those demons want to suck your spirit and they have gaping wounds in their psyche that they're not dealing with and so in order to not deal with that they no act out in many unhealthy ways and thus project their shit onto you so i don't want to go and rule those people i don't want to treat them the way that i want to be treated i want to get the fuck away from them and i don't want to give me to them but i think it's perfectly fine to like be compassionate and i think that it's not uncompassionate to be like okay this person is suffering and i feel sympathy for them and i will not give them energy i think that's still fine to like have that boundary like i can be empathetic i can be compassionate but it's not my responsibility to fix everybody yeah and i need my boundaries for my own well-being i agree i mean and ideally you know, you could also be upfront with that person about what it is about them that makes it so that you can't give them any of your energy. Yeah. Ideally, not that that's really practical a lot yeah. of the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, you know, in the ideal world. I like, um, I, so I'm in a relationship right now where we're both extremely communicative and I think it's fucking great. Like, I'm enjoying it a lot and it feels really healthy. Um, I was in a relationship earlier this year where, we did not communicate a lot. 
or rather, I wanted to communicate a lot, and my partner was not interested in that game at all. Um, and so, but I've actually sort of thought with this person I'm with now who is communicative, um, there have been times where I've actually felt like, hmm, maybe he didn't need to communicate that, and he was projecting on me a little bit, and I kind of wish he, he had done me the kindness of not saying that, of waiting a little bit. Um I definitely have a tendency to like communicate a lot. It's like my first instinct in a situation is like something is wrong. Let's use words to fix it. Um, but I've been trying to teach myself, you know, sometimes just like wait a beat, Lily. Let's see if maybe this thing shakes it out, shakes out on its own. You don't actually need to do anything. You don't need to fix anything. You're not that important to the success of this outcome. Um, so that's something I've been thinking about. Is just like yeah. You sort of, I have this like strong value to like always communicate, to always express, to always help. But actually, like, how much of that is like ego driven and how much of that is actually like beneficial? <laughs> this is like the conversation we've been having in many different iterations, like every day for the past two weeks. Mm, yeah. <laughs> tough stuff, tough stuff. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a judgment call, right? Sometimes I'm better at checking my own ego than other times. Um, and like, and I think that's okay, right? That's the human experience. I'm yeah. going to, I want to try to be my best self, but sometimes I'm just going to be hangry and sometimes <laughs> I'm having a bad day and sometimes I'm having a bad self-esteem day and that's going to come out in the way that I interact with other people and I need to be able to forgive myself for being less than um, and hopefully I am with other people who can also forgive me, right? Like the way that I can hopefully try to forgive them. Yeah. Except for the people with the dark pits. Yep, the, yeah, yeah. The dark vortexes. They're, they're pretty easy to they're, see. They're, they're around. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think there's much confusing them with <laughs> someone who's having a like, bad self-esteem day. Yeah. This is an energy vampire demon. Do you think it should be do unto others as you would have done unto you? Or do you think it should be do unto others as they would have done unto them? <sighs> I'm like lost a little bit in like <laughs> the gloss of that, but I did. I I can't think of it now, but I do remember seeing something that was like just like a meme, you know. Probably there's like some stars or some galaxy shit in the background, just like popped up my feed, and I read <laughs> it and I was like, whoa! But it was like a, another version of like the golden rule that actually felt more profound and like was like an extra layer of like projecting your compassion that i can't think of right now so we'll have to we'll have to google it and hopefully find a better version what was what was your who's the example in the quote about do unto others as Um, you as they would have done unto them yeah so is it that you should do uh, do to other people what you would have done to you or do unto other people what they want done onto them yeah but who is the person who talked about you need to do it uh, how they would have so, done it to them I mean, and like what a bad thing it would be was, to do what, what, what you want. About was, it was, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay. Or what was the example? You don't need to say the person. Are you talking about like masochists or mm-hmm. say like, so, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So you, you know, and they wouldn't appreciate you being kind and you know, mm-hmm. they, they want something different. And so by you, you know, and they right. would be mean to you if they were doing what they would have. Done yeah. And vice them. versa. So, you know, if they were to interact with you that you wouldn't want them to do what they wanted but like the the them and the you in that scenario, right? Okay, do unto like do unto this other person, right? But maybe you're not actually like using the metric of what that specific individual would necessarily want done to them because they may be a masochist. 
but like but the golden do what rule the collective say, them uh, would like to have done unto. But then that I'm still doesn't account. Words. That only you know that plays to the the average. Yeah, which, right. We're not usually hanging which, out with average. That's folks. a pretty shitty golden rule. If yeah. you know, <laughs> if you, if you're only lowest common denominator yeah, golden rule. But why does it scores? have to be the lowest common denominator, right? right? Because like, okay, like averages, there's like mean, median, and a mode, right? So like culturally, let's find that version of whatever like the collective aspirational point is, perhaps, rather than the lowest common denominator. It's <laughs> still like at best a silver rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like bronze rule to me. Yeah. Yeah. What are your love languages? What are my love languages? Um, words of affirmation, for sure. I am obsessed with words. <laughs> um, but I've come to realize like physical touch is really important for me as well. Um, I There were plenty of hugs in my childhood, uh, but my family wasn't particularly like touchy-feely. But now I realize with my partners, maybe it's actually just because like uh, maybe it's Maybe I'm like empathizing in this scenario. It's like my if like a touch is super important for my partner, then it becomes an extra thing. So I don't know. Recently, it's felt like touch is an additionally important one. Um, but I think acts of service is huge for me as well. Um, what's what are the other ones? Quality time, um, which I think quality time can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. And I feel like I'm a little bit confused on that one. I haven't read the book in a while. <laughs> Um, gift giving yeah gift giving I'm just like eh take it or leave it to me almost like gift giving almost just feels like a weird extension of like acts of service with a slightly different bit of baggage I think it's just about the thoughtfulness yeah yeah and just like knowing or thinking or caring about what that other person would like to have versus have done good stuff <laughs> um what's the most unrealistic thing you believe in the most unrealistic thing that i believe in i warned her about this one i know you, you've warned me about this one yet i still i didn't like, mean you should have prepared your thoughts I, we, I know. we try to get you fresh I, and I, scared <laughs> i wish that something just came to mind um because it's hard right because well, i don't do you think believe the we're living that I be- in a computer simulation oh actually yes but i think I like, that's realistic. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like uh i i actually went back and like read you know the paper behind that yeah. uh, is it bostrom bostrom anyways i just read the paper that kicked off this little storm right and if mm-hmm. you look at it from a statistical standpoint i'm like oh yes yeah this, makes this completely sense. makes sense yep. um yeah but like that doesn't feel that doesn't feel no, I don't like think strange or bizarre the yeah yeah um because and this is hard right because you think your own thoughts and beliefs are like logical and rational because you think a thing and then you can rationalize it that's I mean, what do it brings always, to i definitely i don't necessarily think that i think there's a lot of crazy shit that i believe in <laughs> um, how about any like hippie woo woo stuff hippie woo woo stuff like i just there's stuff that I'm starting to see, say, the merits of that are more on the woo-woo side where I'm willing to, like, hold space for it in my mind and, like, continue to collect data that test against hypothesis. But it doesn't mean that I believe in it. Like, something that I've been repeating to other people, which was something that someone said to me, is that Chiang Mai is located near a yin vortex and it's why we have such strong feminine energy here. Mm. Which, like, I don't... Like, when I think of ley lines and 
energy matrices and things like that, I think of like the fantasy books I read. And I love those fantasy books, but I'm just like, nope, not the real world. Um, Again, referencing Stranger Things, that was a major plot point. Okay. Past season. Okay. Cuckoo. 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 Yeah. So that is a weird thing that I would, I think I I would like to believe. Do you think there's anything that like your average group of friends would be like, Lily's so crazy that she thinks this? No, because my friends are weird. Okay. Like I know that I'm friends with like not quote unquote normal people. Like my bell curve is very far removed from I think the general population's (laughs) bell curve. Good. (laughs) All right. So no, if it, no answer to this question. No answer. What does it take for you to say that you believe something? Like you're saying, like there's, you know, you hold space for some ideas and you're sort of collecting evidence. Mm-hmm. When when does when does a, a theory become a fact for you? Um, I'm also going to skate my way out of this one and just say, so rather than me like firmly believing in something, say, um, how firmly will I advocate or argue for this thing? And the strength with which I will advocate or argue for something increases with the my ability to articulate and bring logic and data points to that argument. So the more I can learn about something, the more likely I am to believe in it and believe in it enough that I want to push that out. It's a great answer. I would I wouldn't know how I would answer that. <laughs> I like that though. Very good. If there was one behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be? Um, I would like for people to be more self-aware and self-honest. Um, yeah, because I think that's the thing that's really difficult for most people. Um, like, I do think it is possible to practice to practice emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And I think most of us don't, and so we're com- like we're completely handicapped in like expressing our wants and desires and needs to others. And so often the things that we ask for from others, the things that we say to others are just complete bullshit. And like we do all these unhealthy things because we are not being honest with ourselves. Um, And so if we can, if as individuals, we can fix that internal communication that would vastly improve our interpersonal communication and, lead to a better world for sure for sure <laughs> how do you do that how do you do that improve yeah. improve your emotional intelligence do you ever see somebody who's maybe not acting with the highest emotional intelligence and, and they seem so oblivious to the fact of that it's like, and <laughs> yeah. you wonder, like i mean i wonder if i'm like if i have some sort of yeah. major gaping totally yeah, knowledge. i mean if they can be so oblivious to it then there must be the possibility that i am also oblivious mm. to whatever i yeah uh, your pogo (laughs) i mean don't you feel like a little bit of awareness i mean like i definitely have some awareness of like my blind spots just Mm -hmm. like real deficient weaknesses where like there's certain areas where i know i'm not going to get the full picture and like i need Mm -hmm. help and i work on those and i try to get more of the picture but it's stuff that does not at all come naturally to me yeah i think that's the thing everyone will have their blind spots but at least like if you can if you start uh, filling in the chart as it were you figure out where the gaps are at least like so like you can then figure out where the blind spots are where the gaps are even if you can't tap into those themselves right by like mapping everything around it mm-hmm. you can see where 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 the gaps are like and dark so matter <laughs> yeah you can see the gravitation yeah 
but like i think it can happen in so many ways right it can like you can be part of like your upbringing maybe your like your family situation was like really good and you were taught many of these things uh, like how to become self-aware and how to express yourself how to relate to others in a way that's like compassionate and blah 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 like it can come from like your friend group and the people you're with it can help like you to elevate right you can read because yeah, some people that's like how they how they connect with the world they need to like read and see it and have concrete examples laid out to them um like my dad is like super loves reading self-help books like that's just how he does things like i remember when i was leaving for college i found a book in his office that was like what to do with an empty nest and i'm just like oh like in this one time i like i came i like snuck out of the house when a friend came over at like two in the morning and like you know the kindly police officer like escorted us back to my house and like made me like wake up my dad and like my dad wasn't even mad i thought i was gonna be like so grounded or whatever um no what my dad did was just you know just emphasize that i should like be careful and make safe decisions and he bought me a book about like uh like a self-defense book like oh that's just God. how my dad like that's just how my dad like love teaches yeah, right he wasn't very capable of like teaching things to me like verbally or necessarily even like by example mm-hmm. but like he you know tried to do for me what worked for him which was books yeah i feel like it's a combination of all these things mm-hmm. yeah 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 there's no one thing right like yeah. it's ideally it's all of these things i love that the cop just brought you back home <laughs> cops in my hometown did not just bring you back home right yeah i i was in a uh, high school in the panhandle of florida I was in a little town called Seagrove. It was one of like a collection of beach towns on the um, on the Gulf Coast in Walton County, Florida. And it was like that area of the county was like super affluent. It was like where people had like prim- like lots of second homes. Like during the time that I was there, there was actually this like big migration of people who sort of like left their corporate jobs in Atlanta or the big cities to like live permanently in their beach homes. And now like I haven't been back often, but like like gentrification there has like gone like crazy out of control and like everything is like a crossfit gym or yoga studio Mm. and like a smoothie place and like a cool hip boutique um but but i guess what i'm saying it's like a super safe nice area like there's so is where we grew up and therefore the cops were really angry and bored and stalked and terrorized it was terrible i was giving uh, a couple of people a ride home at like two o'clock in the morning from a party who were drunk who didn't want to drive and i was sober and i was like yeah i'll come pick you up and give you a ride Mm -hmm. home they saw me leaving the party they pulled me over which i'm pretty sure is just illegal anyway like i wasn't (laughs) wrong i wasn't you know and they they these people were underage um he was convinced I was drunk. He gave me like the breathalyzer yeah. like five times. I was like, dude, I'm not fucking drunk. He's like, I searched the car. No, you can't search the fucking car. Why would I let you search the car? Like, and he's like, and, I, and then like he kind of calmed down with me, and I was talk like we were just kind of talking. And he was like, there was a point in time where I would have just let you got to make sure you got him home all right, but and, or driven them home myself, and I would see the doors and windows get blown off as their parents would yell at them. But that doesn't happen anymore, so I'm arresting them all. And I was like, Oh, wow. What the fuck? And then one of the girls was the daughter of a political figure in the town. I forget mm-hmm. what exactly. Uh, and she got dropped off at home. 
The other ones went oh. to the fucking station. Oh, like, oh. what a fucking asshole! Now, yeah. we were out front of that one's house, but I mean, still, like, wait, what? I was, I was uh, on Facetime with my brother like a month or two ago, <laughs> and uh, he was he was driving around with his friend and back in our hometown, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden I see the the red red and blues in the, <laughs> in the Facetime, and I watched my brother get pulled over and arrested what? on Facetime because he was just driving around late at night. Arrested? They're fucking crazy. I. His, I could go on but with his brother has like a big beef with all of the drama that they've put us all through, and so he was like, "I'm fucking going to court, and I'm winning this. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not backing like, off. I don't care how much it him costs." To the FBI. I mean, he, went, he was Whoa. so pissed. He just, and he just had his court date a couple weeks ago yeah. on his birthday because now he's 31 years old. Like he's yeah. a successful 31 year old. Just, yeah, you know, this was like his been chance been to be like, "Fuck you," you know. Okay, pulled he, over and arrested for driving his car to his friend's house. Yeah, it was. Well, he wasn't even the one driving. But anyway, uh, neither here nor yeah, there. Yeah, that's where we're. Nice <laughs> so yeah. feel a lot. Of, we get very angry thinking and talking about the cops from our hometown. There, yeah, yeah. That's they wild. once, they once when we were in, a, we were like, I was with my brother, and again, my brother, we were coming home from work with my father, um, and the cops did not like us, and there was a police belt check, so we see they see our car and they pull over, mm-hmm. they get out of the car. Can we search the car? No, you can't search the car. Well, we're gonna get the dogs. It smells like smoke. We're coming from work. We've been at work for eight hours. Like, there's mm-hmm. no, we, we didn't smoke the morning. There's no way it smelled like fucking smoke. They're lying. And they're like, well, get the fucking dogs. And so they get the dogs. Apparently, there's a hit on the car. So, <laughs> and during this whole thing, like, the, the alarm goes off. And for some reason, Edget's, uh, my brother's key fob stopped working. So he, he oh, literally not turn on. It's like, just, meh, meh. they're like, turn the fucking, or we're going to cut the cord. That's like, amazing. These cops are. So they, was, they, was your quickly. dad in the car? No. Oh, no, okay. No, it was just yeah. So, so eventually they were like, "Well, we have to impound the car now." So they impound the car. Oh, like, like they, they went above and beyond. So they found. They, so they claim now. My brother just had the car detailed like the mm. day before this all happened. So we were also feeling pretty confident that there wasn't anything in the right? car. They, they they impound the car, which is a fee. I mean, this whole thing costs a lot of money, uh, and they they. They what they claim they found was this ro- roach in the passenger side, like like a, the end of a, a blunt. For those who might not, I don't know if roaches are. Um, yeah, so How all of that, fucking like, like- hours and hours of just nonsense, calling, calling, calling a dog in, like I mean, fucking craziness. They're vindictive motherfuckers. Yeah. Our town is like five square miles. Yeah. I mean, like they, they, have <laughs> they get brand force. new police cars every every other right. year. Like, I mean, there's some yeah, shifty just... shit going on. Like, and the way, like, so they would they would they would bust these kids for pot, and then they would have they had like a drug task force. Like, this is a fucking, <laughs> and because they would get money because the federal yeah. government divvies out money based on quantity of arrests, not necessarily quality quality yeah. arrests. So if you can just get a whole bunch of you know asshole high schoolers selling weed to one another to all rat out one another and you know it's so fucked up and warped isn't it that that's the way the system is set up like surely like surely if the police are there to protect us then like if it's like to protect and serve it's like hey your role within the community is to like watch out for everyone and try to like shepherd them along the best path and be like hey stern warning here do this not that because i am around and i am watching you like, why do you need to like, yeah, yeah, up the yeah. ante so much? I mean, I don't think that there should be undercover police. Yep. You know, like a, not normal like town police. Mm. There's no reason why you should have an undercover police. Like, and the 
we both got tailed on multiple occasions by undercover police. I mean, fucking like. Oh, but there's yeah. there's absolutely no point to it. Like, like you said, like I'm here and I'm nothing. watching you. Is it is a deterrent and one that's sort of worthwhile? I mean, honestly, I'd be curious to see how a society would function without police at all. But <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe like a, like you reduce the amount of police by you know ninety percent. So if there's a home invasion, there's still the threat of somebody coming. But but, just, but the difference isn't just necessarily in the number of police. It's like how they're trained right. and what their incentives are and what their targets are. Right. Ber- Berkeley, California is the only place that requires a bachelor level education to become a police officer. And their rate of, I mean, they don't have any of this fucking so racism, blah, blah, blah. I don't necessarily agree that that's like the best metric because I think I'm a big advocate for like vocational training. Like yeah, yeah. not everyone needs to go to college, but like, but it's the training. And the thing that I've, like uh i forget what uh documentary thing that i was watching but like they actually like watched uh what the training was for somebody to get pulled over right and the training that like a lot of police in america are receiving are like so it's so extreme they're trained to expect these like ridiculous out of control crazy scenarios that like they're that much more likely to like escalate the situation because rather than reading it as like the fairly normal response they've been trained in how to handle the extreme crisis situations and so they kind of like make that leap far more often than they necessarily need to be and i think part of it's like i believe part of that is because there's you know training is like required and training is like arguably a good thing but like what are the incentives and like what's going on with that as well like what kind of training are they receiving are they receiving training and how to deal with people with mental illnesses say right because that's something that is severely deficient but it's like when you have all that money and it's being pumped into stuff and you have like you know people see that as an opportunity to be like oh i'm just gonna come up with this like training program for police and i'm gonna like profit off of that and if their motives are just like money not rather than like see this, i, I want to make society better then it's just this i'm not sure mess. that you can kind of separate like you can train uh, a group the, the best training that you could possibly give them but when you give somebody that type of authority over another group of people like i think you're inherently going to have this like this corruption and and that's what I mean. I think if you you because want that because there's an imbalance be, of power. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, either there's no. I think the only great way to fix it is to not have it at all. And like, let's be honest, what good do police really do? Like, you know, if you have a, if you have a home invasion, the police show up, yeah, and they take a report, and they might catch the guy, but they most all most likely don't. Mm. Like, you know, the only real. The, like the benefit of having them there is that the robber feels like it needs to get out as quick as possible. Yeah, but I, I I would have to disagree with you on this point, right? Because like, what if you selected police by a different criteria, right? Uh, what if we, <laughs> we did these nice things? Like we, you know, a lot of a lot of people who get like a uh, going back to this whole thing that we spoke about earlier about like storytelling and narratives, right? If the narrative about like what a cop is, is it's like, yeah, it's like this big, powerful guy and he's there to like be the boss and to like, you know, catch the bad guys, blah, blah, blah. If that's the narrative, if that's the story, it becomes self-selecting and more people who are like that, who have that super aggro masculine energy, who are not good at being empathetic, like they're like, it's, this, it's, this feeds itself right you are more likely to get more people like that if you uh if you people can see examples of uh police officers who are parts of the community and they we share those stories right if instead of cops like what if we just had like 
like Mr. Rogers, but a policeman. What if we had that I mean, story out there? I'm, I think that's absolutely right. But I think that, that that starts with dismantling the police force and creating a new, a whole new organization with a different directive. Like, mm. you know, like, and like, let's be real. I mean, firefighters, like, like lump of it all, all these <laughs> positive things into like one and like with a strong accent on community building. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a, a small portion of the job happens to be responding to people in crises and need, yeah. like when their home gets robbed. So there but is that's still not somebody like, showing that's not up. Like that's that's the scenario, maybe in like your hometown, but there are other places in the world where, like, vi- like even in the United States, where like violence is like a real like is a real thing, where the the role of the police in the community is like that relationship is very different. True, but I mean. A lot of that stems from the police to begin with. I mean, a lot of those futures that, that like, like a lot of those places have been ruined, I would mm. say, arguably by the police and our judicial system. And or is it the economy? Well, I think, <laughs> I think you take it, it to the root. I think it's both. But I, I think that I mean, it's I think it's also social, like mm-hmm. cultural as well. I mean, I think that like, but no, I don't think it's just the economy. I mean, mm. I mean, all these things are enmeshed, clearly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And we'll just have to agree to disagree on the whole police thing. <laughs> That's fair. I'm not like, I, I don't like love police for any reason, but I guess like I don't see any need to like completely dismantle the system. I am terrified of the police force in the United States. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're even they're even like talking about dismantling uh, like Baltimore's police because of the corruption. Really? Like, yeah, I mean, they, they start they, from the ground up. They, literally. I mean, cause the, the scandals has yeah. gotten so large now that they don't even know like what to do. Mm. And, and you think that's not every other police force that there is mm-hmm. because that it is an inherent value. I think, uh, I think there's a danger to overgeneralizing. Certainly. And I definitely am generalizing to a mm-hmm. point that, you know, but I still think it it begs the question of what is it what should its what should its role be and how best to implement that and certainly so that, the way that we're doing it now is just so it's basically it's like the there's a there's a moral judgment there's a moral concern uh that's sort of at the head of that right and then it comes into how that's um implemented in uh in the law and then in culture as well right so the situation now is we've arrived at these things in a very unintentional quasi-intentional way right at best but i don't know again i'm a big believer in like how do we shift things through culture through narrative through storytelling because i think it's just it's there's so much less friction in doing that than to have to go at things from the policy level right because like Culture can then reshape policy and like rather than being like, blah, 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 we have to do this and we have to do that. And you do the very difficult work of untangling policy. If you if people just like culturally can just buy into this thing, it just removes all these different friction points to where like maybe you don't even need to change the law because you're already getting the desired behaviors. Totally. I mean, to that point, I'm saying the same. I think it's really hard to, to, to do away with those friction points mm-hmm. when, like, mm-hmm. the historical context of, say, pre- police brutality. Of course. Just changing the name police to something else and restructuring it a bit, I think it would have a tremendous... We need to rebrand police. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so we're disagreeing here. You think that you're just like, okay, 
scrap the old brand, let's come up with a new one. Not just like, no, let's just rebrand what we already have. Yeah, but I, see, I, but I think I think you definitely need a new job description. I don't think that you know. Yeah, I think, I think that if to protect and serve, great job description. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, do a fucking way with it, mm. and and have more community driven action. And, yeah, and call it something totally different, and move on. All right. <laughs> I like it. That was good. Uh, what is the most annoying thing about people? What is the most annoying thing about people? Hmm. Ego? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ego, people being self-serving, especially when they're not aware of it. Connect the thoughts. Um, what's the most annoying thing about people? Yeah, what do I get annoyed at? Yeah, I get annoyed at when people are not respectful. And I think a lot of the reasons that people are disrespectful manifest out of like a lack of self-awareness being very ego-driven projecting their shit on other people i'm just just glossing over the whole world that's everything <laughs> lily has analyzed it <laughs> what is something that is really popular now but in five years everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by mm, mm. well i'm not gonna go with the fashion answer because like that stuff has become unpredictable um, what is really popular now that we won't like in five years? Is it technology thing? Is it a language? I think I'm, I feel like it's probably going to be something that we something we say and like language will shift. Um, it's like a, maybe it'll be something to do with like a, how sort of like a PC culture and like wokeness shifts, right? Because there's like there's there's things that like I said before that I thought I was saying the woke thing, right? I thought I was saying the correct culturally sensitive thing, where I was like, oh, Lily, that was straight up fucking racist, because you have educated yourself, and you have grown, and I think we are hopefully on this path where we are all collectively growing, and that we will groan at like how juvenile our way of like thinking and reasoning was previously, because we're all holding each other to a higher standard. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think we're always looking back and being embarrassed about that. That's normal, Just, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, have you watched Friends recently. Have I watched Friends recently? Yeah. No, but that's jokes. like not the yeah, <laughs> yeah, not something that has like necessarily aged well, right? I think for the yeah, most I mean, part it has. But it definitely there's some moments where you're like, ooh, that would not fly now. Okay, yeah. so I'm not saying that like racist grandparents are okay, right? But I do think there is cultural relativism. Uh, I do think you know. It's it's okay to sometimes say like it was a product of its time. Totally, and in totally. that moment, like Friends had a huge cultural moment. Yeah, it was not perfect. Absolutely, um, but and I think it was doing its best for the time. I mean, they weren't like anti-gay. They just right, made a bunch of we gay can just be jokes, like, and they were, but they I think they were doing their best to be progressive in that yep. framework. And all those people, probably, hopefully, now would not do that yeah. because we have moved on. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite thing about yourself? What is my favorite thing about myself? Um, I think I really value my intelligence. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of other things stem from that. 
if I pick one thing, I will say that. <laughs> we accept your answer. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. What is the book that has most influenced your life? Um, this one feels easy to answer. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck mm-hmm. by Mark Manson was definitely a book that was like a turning point in my life. Like there are many parts of my life that were already gearing in hopefully a better direction, but that book I think sort of helps many things click into place for me. Um, and I was always someone who was too anxious, who gave too many fucks, who gave like too many fucks about the wrong things. It was not good with boundaries. And like, so this is funny. This takes us back to the previous anecdote, right? So I was in this space where I was like running my family's bed and breakfast. I was working for my cousin's like legal technology startup. I was basically involved in like two different family businesses, right? Which is just like, it's, there's just always emotional entanglement. There's always something that feels personal. So it's just harder sometimes, right? And I was in a relationship, right? And this person was living in Thailand. He was visiting me. I was in this transitional phase where I wanted to move back to Thailand, but I wasn't there yet. And like things felt really, really fucking hard. And um, I had a flight that was delayed. I'd flown with Frontier Airlines, which is terrible. Yeah. The most uncomfortable seats I've ever sat in in my entire life. And our flight was delayed. I'm in the airport in Silver Spring, Colorado. And like I was supposed to be taking time off so I could spend time with my boyfriend who had like flown all the way from Thailand to come hang out with me in the U.S., and I had, like, work shit that I needed to do. And I was feeling super resentful. And, like, I called my dad and I was super upset. And my dad, so typical, was like, maybe you should go to, like, the airport bookshop and, like, see if there's a book that like, can, like, help you with this. And I was just, like, so mad at him. I was like, oh, my God, Daddy. It's, like, so unhelpful. Aww. It was ridiculous. But then I went to the airport bookshop and in bright orange was uh-huh. this book. And I picked it up and it changed my fucking life. And I was like, oh, damn, my dad was right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's a good ending. Uh, this is the most popular answer on our podcast. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's it's it's, it's a life changing con- book. You've yeah, re- you've read it, right? No. Oh, I didn't should... ever hear about it until like our third podcast guest or something. Yeah, we should yeah. definitely. It's yeah. we keep on saying we're going to read it because so many people give mm-hmm. this type of extreme answer. But... but I think it says something about the kind of people you want to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Absolutely. Put it on my to do list. I'll download it. All right. We mm-hmm. have a Kindle here. Uh, what is your most embarrassing story from childhood? Um, from childhood. Um, the one that comes to mind is like so stupid. Yes. And it's also extra stupid because I'm pretty sure no one else noticed. <laughs> but it was this thing that like, you know, when you're like, you're going to sleep and then your brain just is like, hey, do you remember this? Like, no, super embarrassing thing that we did like X years ago. It's like, hey, let's think about that. Like, I don't know why it like has stuck in my brain that it still exists. But um, uh, I don't know. I was probably in like second grade, and my mom had gotten me these um these pajama bottoms that had Minnie Mouse on them, and I loved them. But there were a couple sizes too big. But I insisted on wearing them to school. And we were in PE, and we're playing. Uh, what's the game like? So one person runs over to the other side of the route, and they come back. They grab somebody. And then they both run and then you come back and you keep building this chain, right? I don't know. Maybe it has a name. Maybe it doesn't. So we're doing this in mm-hmm. PE. I was like the second to last person, right? And usually like PE, I could like do well. You know, I was like, I like to run. I had a lot of energy as a kid. So I thought I could hold my own in this game because there's no team dynamics. And the fact that like I wasn't good at being friends with other people was going to be okay. I just needed to hang on. I just needed to run. Cool. I can play by those rules. 
Um, so we're going across and the second to last person. And if the chain breaks, you have to start all over again. Right. So everything is like riding on, like keeping this chain connected. And, um, and as we're like running back, I realize my mini mouse pajamas are like sliding off of my bottom and like, in this panic, I break the chain to pull them up so that I don't expose myself, thereby breaking the chain, breaking the chain and bringing great shame upon myself <laughs> because everyone was like, what the fuck, Lily? We were so close. And so I don't know that anyone ever even noticed my, like my bottoms falling off, but like I didn't wear those pajama bottoms to school anymore. They were like tainted forever. Aww. I felt so much shame. And it's like, it's such a completely bizarre and random story. And I don't know why I can still remember it so vividly. <laughs> I think that's a perfect example of an embarrassing childhood story. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get those moments of like remembering? No. <laughs> this is like you're describing Trevor on weed, not Trevor falling asleep. <laughs> I was, I retook, I, sometimes I retook the 16 personalities test mm. this morning because of oh, our, interesting. our two, because yeah, Eric was taking a, our uh, two podcast guests ago. He, was listening to our last episode with Ruan mm-hmm. where you guys talk about your personality types and he took it and was asking me questions about it. And I was like, I want to check to see, because I feel like it, ch- it changes mm. somewhat frequently, yeah. but yeah. now it's the same as it was two years ago when I made our, when I made Trevor take it. Um, what are you? E-N-F-P. So have you talked to Brittany about this? No. Because like a fuck ton of us are ENFPs. Like I used to test as an ENFJ and now I've test as an ENFP. Me too. And me I think too. because I feel like I'm like, I'm a more me version of myself. So I'm testing more consistently in this way. And I think like the me that I'm expressing now is a healthier version. And mm-hmm. so when I was testing as something else, it was actually like, I didn't want to test that. I was testing that as a result of my environment. In yeah. I was like not happy. But totally. a lot, there's a lot of ENFPs in Chiang Mai. Nice. so many that's and why it's just I, like a, this is why like, i feel like it's my tribe we vibe so well <laughs> yeah and it just so happens like even like uh with like so Brittany and Haley are both also enfps and we're also scorpios and so i i would put like i would put you know the briggs myers young typology on the realm of like uh of astrology stuff yeah which with the added asterisk is that there is science that validates that the season and time of year that you were born in does have an effect on your personality oh. so i will buy into in some way i will buy into that aspect of astrology but not the like your horoscope can you predict this shit because that's too much for me interesting I'm sorry but, yeah. interesting Oh, yeah, but I bring up this test because it asked a bunch of questions around the lines of do you frequently basically like, yeah, get anxiety over Mm -hmm. remembering stuff? And it it asked the (laughs) same question in different iterations like three times. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder what I would say before I knew you because like maybe I thought I had it a bit. But now, but like, I know that you have it like for real. And so in comparison to you, I like never, never think about embarrassing stuff i did and if i do it's only like how funny was that that i was this little like i don't i don't really have anything where i'm like really cringy yeah because that's also something that like i think because i'm less anxious now and i'm more gentle with myself and i like don't let shame override things like those kind of scenarios are much less likely to be imprinted Right. Whereas, like, if I can think back to some of the specifics, yeah. like the when no, I was the, younger, the I definitely hits was of those oh, that yeah, like yeah. keep coming back. Mm-hmm. I'm not forming as many new ones, but the yes. same ones come back. Absolutely. But they're like they also feel less loaded now because I can look at them now from emotional distance. Yeah. I mean, I've, and so I mean, yeah. 
I think pretty pretty early. I, I think I always had somewhat of like a oh god, like that's just. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's embarrassing, but like I think probably almost everyone else, if they are bearing witness to this thing that I found embarrassing, are mm-hmm. only getting humor out of it. So like it's yeah. fine. It's a net positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like no one actually cares about you as much as you think. Like, <laughs> right. and I mean that in like no, this gentle yes. way. It's like, I, I say love that you. to people all the time, right. being like, "This is a really loving thing to say." Like nobody gives a shit. Like yeah. that's seriously what it comes. They're only thinking about themselves. So yeah. You don't need to that's be embarrassed. That's reality. That's I mean. That's what I wonder. You know, to to be able to have any emotional reaction whatsoever to an event that happened so long ago that seems you know objectively might seem so minuscule is like I mean, imagine how that deep internal energy blockage is is affecting your overall psyche enough enough for it to pop up you know 20 years later in your head when you're going to sleep i mean imagine how like where that really lives in the, the space that must be taking up in the yeah, psyche like yeah. you got some like scar tissue in your soul like yeah <laughs> that, that, that you know i think that relates back to i mean i'm saying about you know post-traumatic growth and mm-hmm. you know the whole like shifting perspectives and being able to shift perspectives on trauma from of that nature from so long ago like that it i don't know yeah, <laughs> cringy stuff in the past. We cringe because we've grown, and therefore our metrics have changed, and we're better it's now. Like, so, like, that's something to celebrate. Yeah, because because there are some people who are just better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we are better yeah. than our farm ourselves. Yep. Yep. So, I will stand by that one. I will say yes to that. Yeah. Well, if therefore, you can be I better win. than your former self, then some people yeah. are better than others. Then wouldn't it stand to reason that other people who are less? Well, that's what I asked better. you: by what metric? <laughs> if by their own right. individual metric? <laughs> <laughs> what life practices do you do to keep yourself sane and balanced? Mm, so my women's sharing circle has become super important. In it, we you know we practice our emotional intelligence by reading, by sharing our feelings, and learn to express those in front of o- in front of others. But also, like those women have become many of those women have become my very close friends, and having them in my life just like oh, makes so fucking great. Like uh-huh. they are kind of a core of my community here now. Um, also, exercise like this is big. Exercise is one of the first things that I drop when I get busy. I feel like I can't justify it. Um, so what really helps me right now is because I uh, run the pole studio. I don't think that's come up in the conversation yet, has it? The no, fact I don't that, like, think I, so. Like I teach pole dance. I, I was trying to lead to that, but when I introed you of being like you're in so many boxes that don't even overlap. So many things. And one um, of them is owning, owning and teaching in a pole studio. Pole yeah. studio, pole dance. So the fact that that is like a business and I, I have to teach – uh, part of that gives me anxiety because it means it's less time to like do the other work, which brings in more money. Uh, but actually, I know that I'm probably way better off for it because I have to pole dance for like eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. And that's good for me. It's been incredible for my like my personal progress. But I think also like the value and like I, I sleep better. I probably eat better. I make yeah. better decisions about like, you know, listening to my body because of that and you're able to bring all that to your other work that you're making i mean oh, like completely yeah. like dancing is like dancing is something that really like is good for my self-esteem and it's like fun and it's i think we all need yeah. our creative outlet whatever that is okay. yeah so that's another thing that i think is important having creative outlets <laughs> what is the most environmentally friendly thing you do 
and the main envi- and the main environmentally friendly thing you want others to do. Oh, the most environmentally friendly thing that I do um is being okay with not what? being okay with not being perfect about it all, you know? Like I think a lot of people are like, okay, like you can either like be completely vegan or just like not even do any of that or like you have to like recycle everything or like not at all. And I think like the feeling that you have to do everything right mm-hmm. to the extreme prevents many people from actually engaging in small ways in the behaviors that actually make a difference. Totally. So Did you I, stay t- tuned to the end of your, everyone's podcast episode? No, I haven't even listened to the whole thing. Oh, okay. It's like the first like two thirds of it or whatever. Because he, he, when I asked this question, he just gets into all these stuff that he like started and failed and you know, the act of keeping these things in mind and just like trying mm-hmm. and not giving up on the whole concept of being environmental right. is in itself like the most amazing environmental act, just like mindfulness yep. and seeing what else you can do. Yeah, paying attention. Totally. Yeah. Indeed. Why do people do small talk? Why do people do small talk? So we had a whole conversation about this uh, the other day, uh, Jen and I, but now I'm like uh, forgetting some of it. But I think it's... um. I think uh, it was cal- it's calibration. Oh yeah, I told you to remember your quote exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I know. I do not remember. It. Yeah, <laughs> I um, but I think it's calibrating. It's like gauging, uh, like is this person interesting or not? Is it is this person is this conversation worth investing? And like, yeah. And so I think it's like completely normal and sensible to start out with some of that because you don't want to like jump into something that like you know the other person isn't prepared for. Um, you have to work up to it. Calibration. 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 Um, where can people find you that you want to be found and uh, <laughs> anything like that? Um, so you can find me at lilybruns.com. That's L-I-L-Y-B-R-U-N-S. It will be in the show notes. Yeah, 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 dot com. Uh, yeah, I, as, as you noted uh, to me before, I have this blog post on there, the one blog post I have on there so far, which is about, like, I've just given up all semblance of any separation between my personal and professional lives. I've just, like, I'm just bringing my whole self to everything. So that's where all my projects are linked from. And you can, like, hire me and you can find out what I do and you can find my pole studio and, like, find the Instagram that I have for my cats, everything. <laughs> Nice. All my boxes are up there. Woo! <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Many of them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to talk to you. And I love you guys so much. We love you. We're so happy we found you. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>